In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10, and I'm Jim Ramos, the host of Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men, and your guide to help you live as your best version inside that stress bubble of life when you're raising your children and beyond. So guys, thanks for listening. You're going to have a great time learning, again, why I believe and why you should believe the Bible is true. This is part four in our series, Why You Can Trust the Bible. And you can trust the Bible today because of its historical reliability. Now, we're talking about historical reliability, guys. We're not talking about spiritual or biblical reliable history. We're talking about historical reliable history. This transcends religion. This is used in the scholarly world to determine whether or not a document can be trusted. According to military historian Chauncey Sanders, there are three basic principles of historicity. In other words, these are tests that are applied to any piece of historical writing to determine its accuracy and reliability. So what we want to do is we want to take these three uh, tests and see if they if the Bible holds up to these tests of historicity. In other words, can we believe the Bible is historically accurate and reliable? Hopefully, by part four in this series, you know the answer is an emphatic yes. But let's walk through this right now. So here are the three principles of historicity. Very simple today. This will probably be the shortest of our uh, series of why you can trust the Bible. Principle number one is internal evidence. In other words, this test determines whether or not the original written record is credible and to what extent it is credible. According And when you're looking at a document, like when somebody is looking at a document saying, I don't know if that's credible, Aristotle said this, when in doubt, the credit belongs to the test and not the critic. So we have to look objectively at the document. All and all right, here's what you need to realize. All writers of the New Testament, this is really important. All writers of the New Testament, every single one of them was either an eyewitness or related the accounts of an eyewitness in the Bible. So everybody who wrote the Bible, the 27 books of the New Testament, every one of those guys either were a direct eyewitness or they related the accounts. For example, Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, but he related the accounts of Peter who was with Jesus. Every author of the New Testament was a direct eyewitness of Jesus. So this is what we see. We see this, and, and we see this testimony in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where Luke is writing uh, 
on behalf of others, right? We see this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We see this in John chapter 19, verse 35, where John, you know, these guys are saying, I either wrote this or I received this from someone else. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 3. So this is what we're looking at, guys. So, and David Hackett Fisher, history professor at Brandish University, said this the eyewitness testimony of the apostles is the best relevant evidence. Now think about this for a second. We see eyewitnesses lie all the time. So you could say, well, yeah, these guys are eyewitnesses, but this could have been a whole conspiracy. I mean, this could be a bunch of garbage. They they could have rolled the tomb away, grabbed Jesus. It's called the swoon theory and and buried him somewhere else and made up this story. So here's, here's why I believe that the witnesses of the, the uh, apostles is the greatest testimony because 11 out of 12 of these guys died for what they believe. And the one who didn't die, John, was ex- exiled to the island of Patmos. And he was, he was brutally persecuted throughout the course of his life. So when we look at these guys, we have to say, why would guys like that die for a lie? These are eyewitnesses of Jesus. Why would they die for a lie? Well, the, the, the fact is they didn't die for a lie. They saw what they saw. Uh, they believed what they saw. Some of them didn't even believe what they saw. They still doubted. But these guys died to the man for what they believed, and their testimony is true. Josh McDowell writes this, The New Testament accounts of Christ were being circulated within the lifetimes of his contemporaries. These people whose lives were overlapped his could certainly confirm or deny the accuracy of the accounts in advocating their case for the gospel the apostles had appealed even when confronting their most severe opponents to the common knowledge concerning Jesus. Again, this is what we're saying. The internal evidence is overwhelming that you can believe the Bible. So the second principle in historicity, we have, the first one is internal evidence. The second one now is external evidence. External evidence is this. It determines whether historical data confirms or denies the internal testimony of the documents themselves. In other words, if the 12, if these men wrote the New Testament, what do others outside of these 12 say about them? So internally, these 12 or these people, these men, these people who wrote the 27 books of the New Testament, these are the this is the internal evidence. Are, is their testimony true? Externally, we see people outside of this sphere, outside, writing about this. So that's external evidence. So in other words, what sources outside or apart from the literature under analysis substantiate the document's accuracy, reliability, and authenticity. And we need to look at things like the date the manuscript was written. We need to look at the geography of where it was written. We need to look at the quality of manuscripts or the family in which we found these manuscripts. You've heard of the famous Dead Sea Scrolls, these families of manuscripts. We need to weigh, uh, we need to weigh out and count the different manuscripts that we have available. So Gary Habermas, in his book, Historical Jesus, Ancient Evidence for the Life of Christ, said this, Ancient extra-biblical sources present a large amount of detail concerning both the life of Jesus and the nature of early Christianity. I can go through and write, quote, give you quote after quote after quote after quote after quote of men who lived outside of the, the, the internal 
men who wrote the Bible, the New Testament. I can give you source after source after source of these guys testifying on behalf of these guys. Many of these guys were not even Christians. A lot of these guys were Jewish uh, historians. Uh, archaeologist Joseph Free said this, Archaeology has confirmed countless passages which have been rejected by critics as unhistorical or contradictory to known facts. Yeah, tell me something I don't know about these guys. So the last thing is this, you guys. The third principle of historicity, and I save this one for the last because this really is the crescendo, is bibliographical test. The bibliographical test, here's what that does. This examines the textual transmission by which an ancient document reaches us from the past. I'm going to put that in layman's terms. How many reliable copies do we have of this document? So when we look at the New Testament, in fact, when we look at any, any ancient piece of literature, we have no original autographs. So the autograph would be an actual book that that guy wrote. Does that make sense? So so when, when I write a book, so right here is my best-selling book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Right here is Guts and Manhood. Those are copies of my book. My original book is in my computer. Uh, one of my books is handwritten. So that original document, we have none of those in any book in all of his, in antiquity. So we have to look, so we have no original autographs. So we have to look at copies. So when it comes to the manuscript authority of the New Testament, the abundance of material is truly, truly remarkable in contrast with the manuscript availability of other classic texts. So when you go to your, you take, uh, you know, English 101 in college and you're studying, you know, great works in literature, you're going to read, let's say, Homer's Iliad. So do you know, so let me say this. Today, as I'm speaking right now, we have more than 25,000, 25,100 copies of New Testament manuscripts, ancient documents, 25,100 of those. Second place is Homer's Iliad. So you may read Homer's Iliad in your Lit 101 in college, right? You probably won't read it today in your university because there's a whole agenda there, but that's a whole other story. But let's say you read Homer's Iliad and your professor says, this is, this is one of the most historically reliable documents, you know, in the history of the world. And you were to say, oh, well, how many, how many copies of Homer's Iliad do we have today? Your professor will say this, we have a whopping 643 manuscripts as evidence to this work of literature. And then you were to say, well, I'm noticing that the Bible's not on the syllabus, yet there are 25,100 copies of the Bible. So why aren't we reading the Bible in English Lit 101? Crickets. The Bible is far and away. Let me, let me, here's what William Albright, he's the world's foremost biblical archaeologist. Here's what he has to say. We can already say emphatically that there is no longer any solid basis for dating any book of the New Testament after about AD 80. And then he continues in Christianity Today. He says, in my opinion, every book of the New Testament was written by a baptized Jew between the 40s and 80s of the first century AD, very probably between 50 and 75 AD, so even sooner. Josh McDowell concludes with an exclamation mark, and he says this, 
if one discards the Bible as unreliable historically, then he or she must discard all literature in antiquity. Why can Josh McDowell say that? Because there's no other work in literary history that brings to the table more copies than the Bible. Second place, the first loser, is Homer's Iliad. So you can take that and hand it to your teacher on the syllabus. Men, make sure you head on over to menandarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. We're pulling this book down in the next couple weeks because we're going to replace it with my new work called Man Laws, 100 Ways to Have Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. You're going to love this. It's going to make you laugh. It's super funny. It's, a, it's good stuff. And the cool thing about the book Man Laws is it, it was written by you, our listeners. You guys contributed your man laws, most of them. I made a few up myself. And guys, while you're there, make sure you click the Join Our Program button on our homepage. Get involved in one of our many virtual teams, reaching out to men from all over the world, helping them become their best version. Guys, don't ignore the Join the Program button. Click that button today. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And why am I doing this with my hands? Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.